Well, it's been a while since we've been together, and I have always enjoyed our fellowship around the Word of God. And I'd like to go right to our text this morning, but before we do that, we need to see where we are at in the life and the ministry of the Lord Jesus. So, at this point, in Luke's narrative, Jesus was beginning to wrap up his ministry in Galilee before going to Jerusalem to die. Am I okay on here? Okay, you're, it's not me though. It, it, okay. So at this point in, in Luke's narrative, uh, Jesus is wrapping up his ministry in Galilee and he's headed for Jerusalem to die soon. Now the backdrop for that is found back in Matthew chapter 9. If you have your Bibles with you, would you turn with me please to a couple of verses in Matthew chapter 9 before we exposit our passage in Luke chapter 9. We're just going to look at four verses in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 to 38. This is backdrop information, remember, okay? Verse 35, and Jesus was going about all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And seeing the multitudes, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Despite the extensive work in and around Galilee, Jesus knew that there were a lot of people who remain unreached by his ministry. Their needs were various and their needs were great. There were physical needs, there were spiritual needs, emotional needs everywhere. And as Jesus looked around him at those needs, he felt it deeply. We know that because in verse 36 that we just read, there is that word, and he felt compassion for them. That word in the original is splanknas. It refers to the kind of emotional pain that hits you in your bowels, in your guts. Some people refer to this as being gut-punched some, by some event or circumstances. The people all around Jesus were spiritually leaderless. They were poor. They were hungry. They were harassed. They were helpless. They were emotionally torn and thrown down. Predators and, and unscrupulous leaders have ravaged them, and they had great needs. And Jesus saw and felt it all. His response to this great need was to empower and send his disciples out to help meet this need. Not only then, but also for the ministry that would continue with them after his return to glory. In light of that, ever since he chose them back in Luke chapter 6, he has been mentoring the disciples by teaching and by example to carry on the important work of the kingdom of God. And so we pick it up now in Luke chapter 9, verse 1. You turn there with me, please. Luke chapter 9, I think we have it up on the screen as well. 
And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, neither a staff, nor a bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not even have two tunics apiece. And whatever house you enter, stay there and take your leave from there. Okay. Stay, stay. <laughs> you can take your leave later. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and whatever house <laughs> you enter, stay there and take your leave from there. And as for those who do not receive you, as you go out from that city, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And departing, they began going out among, among the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. I want to stop there and call our attention to the urgency that is couched in these verses. Jesus gave the disciples special ability and the right to exercise it over all the demons, not some, all. It was unlimited power and authority to hold all demonic distractions at bay as they healed the broken hearts and bodies of the people wherever they went. My friends, that is the compassion at work through his people. Now the urgency is also captured in the specific instructions that they were given. The disciples were to travel light, not like a lot of the other itinerant preachers of that day who traveled from town to town seeking profit and making a living from their services. The disciples were to trust God for their physical needs and not waste time with those who rejected the proclamation of the kingdom of God. The idiom that we read about shaking the dust from your feet as they left the towns that rejected their message was a symbolic gesture of breaking fellowship for those who would not believe. The obedience of the disciples that we see in verse 6 is an indication that this was a successful apprenticeship assignment. They were well equipped by the mentorship and the supernatural gifting from Jesus to carry out their assignment everywhere that they went. In fact, it was so effective, it caught the attention of Herod, the political king of Israel, and others who were around him in his court. Verses 7 to 9 tell us, the news of the disciples' success, working under the power and the authority of Jesus, was very puzzling to him. He didn't understand it, and he didn't know what to do with it. Look at verse 7. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was happening, and he was greatly perplexed, because it was said by some that John had risen from the dead, and by some that Elijah had appeared and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen again. And Herod said, you can almost see in parentheses, that's not in the scripture, but it's like, wait a minute, I killed John. How can, how can that be him? He said in the, in the scripture here, I myself had John beheaded, but who is this man? 
about whom I hear such things. And he said, he kept trying to see him. The last phrase, he kept trying to see him, implies an ominous tone. Herod did not like knowing and controlling what happened in his kingdom. And hearing that someone was proclaiming another kingdom in his kingdom was very upsetting to him. Second, Herod will see Jesus later on. Further on in chapter 23 and verse 8, we read, Now Herod was very glad when he saw Jesus, and the rest of the verse tells us why. For he had been hearing about him and was hoping to see some sign that, would be, that was done by him. So Herod really wasn't interesting in the message that Jesus had about the kingdom of God as much as he wanted to be entertained by a miracle or a sign of some sort. It all leads to a pretty clear understanding about the difficulty of the gospel ministry in any day, but particularly in that day. We go back and pick up the theme of the compassion of Jesus again in verse 10. Look with me there, please. And when the apostles returned, they gave an account to him of all that they had done. And taking them with him, he withdrew by himself to a city called Bethsaida. Notice that Luke now calls the twelve apostles. The word means the sent ones. They have completed their short-term mission. They have returned weary and hungry to give Jesus a report of how they did. And Jesus, seeing their tiredness, takes them with him to a place just outside the city of Bethsaida, probably a, 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 a hill, hillside somewhere. It goes northeast of the Sea of Galilee. He's intending to give himself and all of them some respite and probably a kind of debriefing and let them tell him all that happened during their mission trips. But look what happens in verse 11. But the multitudes were aware of this and followed him. And welcoming them, he began speaking to them about the kingdom of God and curing those who had need of healing. And the day began to decline. And the twelve came and said to him, Send the multitude away, that they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside and find lodging and get something to eat, for here we are in a desolate place. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless perhaps we go out and buy food for all these people, for there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them recline to eat in about groups of about 50 each. And, and they did so. And he had them all recline. And he took the five loaves and two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them and broke them and kept giving them to the disciples to set before the multitude. And they all ate and were satisfied. And the broken pieces which they had left over were picked up, 12 baskets full. This, of course, is the famous account of the feeding of the 5,000. And it was a momentous time in the lives of the disciple and all of the multitude. But what we don't want to miss here is that little phrase at the beginning that says, and welcoming them. 
Despite their weariness, Jesus felt compassion for the multitude that followed them as they sought a little privacy for rest. He really wanted to be with them, and he wanted them to be with him. And the sense was so strong that he went among them, and he taught them about the kingdom of God, and he went around curing those in need of healing. And it apparently went on for a long time because there were so many of them, and the night was beginning to set in. It was at that time that the apostles were about to get another lesson from Jesus about exercising the compassion that he had toward others. Why do we know that? Because all 12 of them came to him and said, in essence, send the people away. Send them to other places and the villages for lodging and food. We can't help them. We don't have the food or the resources to help them. They said, all we have are five loaves and the bread and two fish. And then Jesus challenged their lack of compassion and trust in his ability to provide for their needs. And after having them all sit down in groups of about 50, Jesus took what little food they had, he blessed it, he broke it, and he, and he began giving it to the disciples to distribute among the crowd. And when he was done, as we read, there was more left over. Verse 17 tells us, they all ate and were satisfied, and the broken pieces which they had left over were picked up 12 baskets full. And it, friends, it is at this point that we are challenged by the limitless compassion of Jesus. A miracle was needed to solve the food problem and Jesus provided one. Under normal circumstances, one might be hesitant to believe this account of the feeding of the 5,000, but I will tell you, when we understand the nature and the power of the Son of God, we realize that there is no such thing as a normal circumstance. Do you believe that? Amen. No such thing. Particularly when it comes to being taught something of such importance like compassion for others. The compassion of Jesus was so strong that he stepped outside of the natural order of things. The order of nature was literally suspended. And he did something only God could do. Only God gets away with true miracles. And this one, like all the rest of such events in the Bible, was motivated by the needs of others and his ability to help them. And us. James 5, verse 11 says, And having seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and merciful. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Humble yourselves before the, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety upon him. Why? Because he, that's right, he cares for you. So, how does this work itself out in our lives? I have an example for you. Years ago, my wife, Shirley, had been a registered nurse for over 50 years. She wanted to get involved in medical missions to third world countries. She joined, joined a group of dentists and doctors and surgeons and nurses and other helpers, and, and she went on several short-term medical missions to South America and the Dominican Republic. Now, when they do these trips, they pay all of their own expenses. They take all of their own instruments, and they supply all of their own medications. 
The situation is so bad where they go that an, a, a dentist friend of mine explained it like this. He said, when I go on these missions to help people with their teeth, I set up a chair and a table under a tree and people line up. I do nothing but pull rotten teeth all day long without painkillers for days on end. And he said, when I'm done, they hug me and thank me for taking them out of pain. Those remarks are from a good friend of ours, Dr. Al Hubley. He's retired now, but he's been a family friend for years. And once he went on his first one, he kept going on more and more. These mission trips went and still go to the poorest people in the world. They have no money, so they give their thanks for treatment with bananas and chickens. Some live near the seashore so they can exist on the fish they catch that day. If they don't catch any fish, they don't eat. Most, even after reaching adulthood, have never seen a dentist or a doctor, so they live day to day in the moment with their pain. They are at the total mercy of the greatest challenges to life itself. On one particular trip Shirley took to Ecuador, the mission team attempted to set up a temporary hospital in the little village of Esmeralda. They couldn't get there because the heavy rains had washed away not only the roads, but also the village. So they redirected to another village named Kinade. There they gave medical help to everyone that they could, and it was free, and it went on for two weeks. When Shirley got home from Kinade, she told me about a talk that she had with a medical patient there. A man asked her, why do you do this? Why do you leave your rich, wonderful world in America to come here in this place and do this? And Shirley's answer was, because you need help and we care. Perhaps now we can better understand the compassion of Jesus. He left heaven, a place of absolute, complete glory, perfection, peace, and fellowship with the Father, the eternal Father, to come down to a broken world, a world that's broken politically, a world that's, that's broken socially, a world that's broken criminally, a world of broken relationships, broken marriages, and broken people, and yet he came. Why? Because we need help. And he cares. He came to heal all of that by offering a new way of life. A life of peace. No matter what the human circumstances may be. Because it comes with a restored relationship with God. You know, there's one way that we can help heal all the brokenness in the world. And that is to participate in the compassion of Christ, even today. Did he not bring his compassion to our own lives? I can tell you many, many decades, years, uh, decades ago, he did to me. That's why I'm standing here in front of you today. To say, thank you, Jesus, for showing compassion to me and to so many more and to put us together in your church 
where we can worship in spirit and truth and we can continually remember the compassion that was poured out on us by the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you, friends, we should never forget that we, the church, hold out the offer of the spiritual healing power of Jesus. As the song goes, you're the only Jesus that some will ever hear and see. The Apostle Paul tells us that whom he, God, foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. We are to become more like him. Remembering that he extended compassion to us so that we could say to others, because you need help and I care. What an awesome privilege that we have. We don't have to go to Guatemala, Ecuador, or Dominican. For some, that certainly is their calling. But we can do it right here, can we not? Right where we live, every day. Will you do it? Our Father, this is a message given to us in the Scripture, your Holy Word, breathed out from a perfect God, showing us through the work and ministry of your Son, Jesus, that compassion is a necessary part of the ministry. The ministry that you have given to your Son is given to us, and we thank you for it. We ask, O oh God, that the Holy Spirit and the Word of God would convict us that the acts and words of compassion would flow forth from this church, from everybody here, and that we would never forget that it was once shown to us. And so we respond with grateful hearts, saying, you are so, so good. You're just a great God. And we love you for it.